Hello, Mentors Collective. I'm here with another op awesome episode and a timely episode. If you're watching the world at all, you might notice that we're in conflict. We're in conflict with each other. There's conflict internationally. There's conflict politically. Uh, so for this episode, I really wanted to dive into the topic a little bit deeper. And I am honored to have a guest on the show to join me today who is one of the foremost experts on conflict and conflict resolution. As a quick introduction, Dr. Ralph Kilman is the CEO at Kilman Diagnostics. He's created online courses and tools utilized by Amazon, Google, and NASA for conflict resolution. He's internationally recognized on systems change and has consulted for major corporations in the US and Europe, as well as government organizations and even the office of the US president. He's written over 20 books and he just published his latest book, which is his legacy book, Mastering the Thomas Kilman Conflict Mode Instrument. Ralph, welcome to the show. I'm super excited to have you here today. Thank you so much, Jay. It's such a pleasure for me. It's a pleasure for me too. So let's jump right in with something that's probably going to push some buttons and, and, and get people's attention. We're all at conflict right now. It's, it feels like, and I'm not that old, I'm 31 years old, so I haven't been around for that long, but it feels like a crazy time in America where everyone's at each other's necks. I've never felt more political in my life. Uh, up until this time, I would say I was apolitical, but now everything seems to trigger me. Everything seems to trigger my friends. Ralph, what's going on? Break it down for well, me. First of all, to put it in perspective, Jay, when Ken Thomas and I developed the what was became known as the Thomas Kilman Conflict Mode Instrument, that was in the early 1970s. And at most, conflict was a topic in a sociology course, a psychology course, political science, but it wasn't a big topic in the news. It wasn't a big topic on people's minds. Ken and I did not anticipate how this world would change. We just thought it was a good topic. And then we fast forward 50 years and we find out that we are embroiled with intrapersonal conflict within ourselves, between people, interpersonal conflict, organizational conflict, where we work, between departments, between levels in the hierarchy. And then we have conflict in the communities. And then we have conflict with our political system, what might be called polarization, where people mm. take extreme positions and no longer listen to one another. And ultimately, that can lead to civil wars and international wars, when people are willing to fight to the death to prove their right and superior to some other tribe, us versus them. And if we don't find a way out of these conflicts, our democracy will be gone. And at the same time, the quality of life in the world will be in reduced. I, I seem to agree with you. And like I said, I haven't been around for that long, but Ralph, you're experienced. How did we get here? Has it always been this way? What had to evolve to create this, this current conflict, this polarization? Well, in early 70s, there was a publication called Future Shock by Alvin Toffler. And that kind of set the stage on a fast paced changing world. We had deregulation of companies as well as nations. The Berlin Wall came down. We had deregulation of industries. We, we had basically diversity brought into the workplace. There were themes about feminism and bringing in women and then minorities, affirmative action. And before you know it, there's different people all over the place, and yet we are most comfortable with people just like us. In fact, the mm. bottom line is most human beings are brought up in a very homogeneous environment. Their parents come from the same race, religion. 
they look the same, basically, the, the race, the gender, whatever. And then basically, that's what you're exposed to. And you get more comfortable with being with people of your own kind. And in some families, you're required or expected to marry in the same order, of the same kind, and have children of the same kind, of the same religion, the same race, and so forth. And that sets up us versus them. And it's all about consciousness. If we get stuck at a lower level of consciousness, uh, for example, the lowest level of consciousness is egocentric. I am the only human being, everyone else is an object, and I can treat them accordingly. The next level of consciousness is ethnocentric, us versus them, my tribe, my group, my family, and everyone else is an object and can be treated accordingly. Most of the world right now is very much stuck in this tribal consciousness where it's us versus them. We have to prove our superiority. And as I mentioned, in some cases, we fight to the death to provide that. Do you okay. think At it's same... consciousness? Do, yes. do you think it's evolutionary biology? I come from a medical background and I feel like I, I try and trace everything back to evolutionary biology. Why is that there? Why am I thinking that? Why is this on my body? Do you think this is something we can evolve past like a consciousness or do you think this is something that's so hardwired that we're just going to have to learn the tools to deal with it? It takes an awakening. And basically what that means is it can be like a near-death experience. It could be an illness. It could be a divorce. It could be having a new child. And sometimes you awaken and you say, who am I? In fact, one of my favorite quotes is by Mark Twain, who said, there's two important days in your life, the most important days, the day you were born and the day you find out why. And most people never find out why. They live out their conditioned lives as they were given in their homogeneous families, everyone looking the same, talking the same, same belief system. They never grow out of that. They live out their lives and give the same thing to their children and so on and so forth. But if we can stop the process and say, who are we? Why are we here? What is my purpose? What am I here to contribute? I'm not just a living being. I have consciousness and I can do things and I can become aware of myself find out why. And once that happens, then consciousness evolves. And it doesn't just go from egocentric to tribal consciousness or ethnocentric. There's the opportunity to go to what has been called world-centric consciousness, universal consciousness. To give you an example, if you find out, if you learn that someone in, let's say, Africa is hurt and suffering, that bothers you as much as if that happened to your own child. That's world-centric consciousness. We are all in this together. We are all one humanity, and we have to help one another. Most people are not there. There's very few, but that's possible. But if you do your do you spiritual work... Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I, I wrote another book, uh, 2013, uh, called The Courageous Mosaic, which is Awakening Society, Systems, and Souls. And it describes the process I went through to awaken. I had trauma growing up. I eventually turned those traumas, those wounds into a gift. You can stay bitter. Now, I should say this. Every human being suffers from trauma. Welcome to the human race. It's going to happen, whether you like it or not. The question then becomes, what do you do with it? And if you use it to become aware and more conscious and have more empathy and compassion for others, then we can address conflict in a way that we couldn't when we're stuck on tribal consciousness, us versus them, and we have to fight for our territory and our beliefs. And we don't listen to other people because we're right and they're objects and we have to prove it to them. 
as long as that mentality or that consciousness remains, we won't resolve our most important conflicts, whether it's climate change, the political menu, or whether it has to do with anything going on with international wars like Ukraine and Russia or whatever. That's all sourced from consciousness. Let's assume that the universal consciousness theory that you're just talking about is correct. You've achieved this. You feel the same empathy for somebody in Africa that you do your own son. Did that take a lot of personal work, a lot of personal development in order to get to that point, to turn your trauma into that power? What was involved? Absolutely. Well, in my case, and I've recommended this to others, and I know other people have done the same thing, it's a combination of what we call talk therapy, where finally you sit down with a, a trusted and a competent therapist and you say, this is how I remember my childhood. This is what happened. Well, what did you do with that? How, how is that affecting your life? What do you want to do differently? But it's not just about mental constructs. The trauma is also in the body, and there's many modalities that help you relieve the trauma that's stuck in your body. So you could have a trauma and you mentally understand it, but it's still stuck. And then you get triggered. When similar events happen, you get triggered and you go right back to the past and get re-traumatized. So it's not only of mental talk therapy, it's also body work. And there's all kinds of body work. And I describe it in that book, uh, The Courageous Mosaic, what can be done. What I also recommend in that book Think about what do we provide children in public education? Math, English, science. That's all wonderful. But if they don't know who they are, if they haven't discovered themselves, if they haven't learned that the ultimate journey is finding out why you were born, then what can you do with that math and English? Math and English scores are not going to be helpful in this world if people are stuck into tribal consciousness. So in my book, I actually take the bold step of recommending that for public schools, at least 25% of the curriculum should be on developing consciousness. So people find out who they are, help them heal their wounds. So when they're adults, they can be more world-centric, spirit-centric. They can also participate in discussions about conflict in a productive way. But just having high math and English scores and knowing something about science is not gonna solve a lot of the messes that we have. And we have messes. The climate change is a huge mess. The polarization is a huge mess. The politics is a huge mess. We can only solve that at a higher level of consciousness. In fact, it was Albert Einstein who said, and this is a famous quote of his, you can't solve the problem with the same consciousness that created it. You have to rise above it. That's Albert Einstein. So he recognized some of the great scientific thinkers of all time recognized it ultimately comes down to consciousness. And what Albert Einstein also says, the ultimate force in the universe is love. I love what you're saying. And it sounds like you're an idealist, which is beautiful. Uh, and now assuming that you can do the self-work and, and reach that, that point of consciousness, and, and, and sorry to push back on you a little bit, let's say that in order to solve the issue with conflict, people at each other's throats, they all need to elevate their consciousness. How do you convince billions of people to do that work, to see therapists, to talk, to work on their body when nine out of 10 people can't even exercise consistently. What is the, the, the practical plan there? Well, I don't mean to oversimplify it, but that's why I go back to what is taking place in our public schools. What are we teaching children? Yes. Are we teaching them just to live out the life they were given and learn a few subjects and get tested and get graded and then get a diploma and then send them off to the world? 
without any consciousness to address the conflicts that are out there? Or do you say, wait a minute, if we have required courses, as we do in public school, it's required to go to school, okay, whether it's homeschool or an actual school building that's on the street somewhere, they can use that setting to help students learn about themselves. Why not? You can do all that. It doesn't just have to be learning math and English and science and having a little physical education. That's not body work. That's just sports. But how do you help people understand what's in their body, in their mind, in their soul, why they were born and what they're here to do? You can do that with young children because they can understand it. But if you don't provide it, they don't know. And if the message they get from their public schools, which they go through high school, so how many years is that of public education, and all they get are these subjects that have nothing to do with who they are and becoming a good person? Yeah, it's funny, Ralph. I, I fully heartedly agree with you on the diagnosis of the solution. You've thrown all these different cultures, religions, races together very, very quickly, uh, as opposed to how we were, you know, evolved as humans and tribes, everyone looked the same, everyone thought the same. That sounds like a, a recipe for conflict. Absolutely. And I also fact, agree the in, public system needs to be updated sincerely. In fact, in my book, in that last chapter that's on civil war and international war, I talk about the difference between homogeneous imprinting and heterogeneous imprinting. The homogeneous is when you're a young child, all you see is people that are like you. That's all you know. That's all you're comfortable with. And everyone else is a foreigner or an object. And yet heterogeneous means that the parents perhaps are mixed of races, religion. They are mm. exposed to people of different races, religions and sexual identities. The whole schema on complete demographic heterogeneity. And as a result, as they grow up, they're comfortable with being with people who are different from them. They don't see it so much as conflict as I can learn from these other people. Isn't it interesting that they see the world different from me? I can learn from that. But if you're threatened by differences, if you believe you should only hang out with people of the same kind, same religion, same race, you're never going to go past that divide where you engage in a quality way with people that are very different from you. In fact, the ideal people who are brought up in a heterogeneous environment, being exposed to people of all different walks of life, races, religions, sexual identities, or whatever, they will be uncomfortable if they are surrounded by people who are all the same. They say, what's missing here? This is not the world. This is not the human race. I don't want to be segregated like this. So one solution, yeah, have segregated societies where all the whites, the blacks, the Latinos, they all live in separate neighborhoods and they have disparaging things to say to one another. Or they can join together and say, let's mix things up. But let me emphasize something. Even if there was complete diversity in the world in terms of workplaces and families and children's and so forth, if you don't raise your consciousness, you will find something else to put people down for because people are by inherently insecure. And as a result, they need to be right. They need people to agree with them. And as a result of them, if you don't agree with me, oh my goodness, is there something wrong with me? Who has the hold on reality? It sets up a terrible dynamic when you're trying to figure out who's right and who's wrong. Well, we right. all have a different perspective. We have a different take on reality. It's in the eye of the observer. Also what we learned from relativity theory and Einstein, it's all relative to who's observing and what they're observing and what they're seeing. And each view is as legitimate as the other. And it requires a quality conversation. Well, in our public school system, 
we can teach children how to have quality conversations with people that are different from you on the surface. You can learn to do it, enjoy it. In fact, if you go into a playground, you'll see the, the mixer, mixture of people, in, of children interacting with one another. It's natural. But if they are taught in childhood that those people are different from you, they are inferior to you, you don't have to respect them, well, then you're going to see a different pattern in a school playground. But when they haven't been taught that, then it's different. In fact, there was a very famous song in the musical South Pacific, which said, if you want your kids to hate and be prejudiced, you've got to teach them really well. You have to work at it. You have to make sure they learn the lesson. That was like 1951. That was radical at the time. And yet yeah, we still an need to look at that issue today. An interesting conversation with what do you teach the kids? And then this was a, a trending news story for a long time with the critical race theory. Uh, say, Ralph, I were to appoint you, you know, director of the Board of Education. What would that curriculum look like? What would you teach kids in order to enhance their consciousness, elevate well, their first, consciousness? first, I would assemble a very diverse group of experts, psychologists, medical people, sociologists, business people, religious leaders. So you have a diverse pool of people. And then you and then you make sure they understand the assumptions they make, their belief systems. There's a little education that goes on because we each make assumptions about the other, most of which are usually just outright false, but we never have a chance to test it. But with a diverse group, we can test it out. And once this group is assembled and they understand assumptions and how they're similar and how they're different and working together, then they come up with possible solutions on what would be in the curriculum so that more children and more adults could have that diversity, could learn how to work together and be comfortable. So you don't just autocratically have one person, whether it's me or anyone else, say, this should be the curriculum. No, you have to live your principles and say, I need to assemble a diverse group of people they need some education and training and how they can work well across the boundaries. And then we set the process in motion and they come up with different programs and curriculum. They debate them. They examine their assumptions and they eventually synthesize the various curriculum proposals into a curriculum for the school. And it would largely be based. Yeah, there would, of course, be math and science. You, you have to know that. But as I mentioned, I would prefer at least 25%. I just throw that number out to say it must be significant, right. is based on helping children learn about themselves, accept themselves, love themselves, be kind and compassionate to everyone. To me, that's religion. Uh, I have looked at the different religions. They have different practices. They have different accoutrements and so forth. But basically, what are the behaviors that they're looking for? And it's usually about kindness, compassion, being helpful, and loving other people across the entire planet. That's the essence. That's what I'd like to see fostered. And if we foster that, we will approach our conflicts very differently. Uh, you, you talk about consciousness like it is a religion, and it seems like you do view it as one. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your ideas on consciousness and how it relates to religion? Do you think there's, there's any conflict between the idea of consciousness and spirituality and religion? Well, in some cases, I have observed that in religion, there is dogma and there's a certain set of practices you have to abide by. And there's even some teachings that say, aren't we lucky? We found the right religion. We will achieve salvation by following these practices. And then you try to convert other people to those practices. Okay. Whereas consciousness is not per se religion. It's simply saying we're all together. Humanity. If you want to talk about it, there's one religion. It's called humanity. 
learning about ourselves, working together, and living happier and healthier one generation after the other, while we also take care of the planet, which is our home, and we are interacting with that planet in many ways all the time. And if we don't respect that planet and our interaction with the planet, there won't be a planet for us in 100 or 200 years. Or as uh, uh, Stephen Hawking has said uh, when he was alive, he said, I think in about 100 years, we're going to have to find another planet. Smart man. I hope we don't get, I hope we don't get to that point. <laughs> I, I hope not to. Uh, I, humans are very good at adapting. I have hope for us yet. Right, uh, Ralph, right. let me ask you about some practical tools that we can use as adults functioning in today's society with the state in which our political atmosphere our climate is at right now. For example, when you go home to Thanksgiving, maybe not you, but anybody who, who might be listening. And over the past three years, since you know the, the COVID lockdown has shifted people and polarized people so much, and you're having a conversation with your mother or your grandmother, and you might be on a very different political wavelength right now. What are some practical skills or even tools that you can think of to acknowledge the conflict, and then handle the conflict in a mature and healthy way? Well, first, if you have awareness and love for yourself, it's easier for you to love other people and respect different points of view. The more traumatized and insecure you are, the more you have to be right and go to great steps to say, I'm right and you're wrong. So there you are in Thanksgiving, and the topic of politics comes up, and the family members are divided, and they either yell and shout at one another, or they go into separate corners, and they just don't talk. Uh, years ago, there used to be Democrats and Republicans, and they were friends, they get along, they have different views on political platforms, but there wasn't that kind of conflict of, are you on my side or not? Or how can you possibly vote for that person? But what has happened with this tribal consciousness and the polarization and the insecurities that have never been healed is that people feel if you have a different opinion from me, oh my goodness, does that mean I'm wrong? And that gets me defensive. And then we start arguing, we get polarized. Perhaps this isn't too different from what happened during the actual civil war in the 1800s and the 1860s, when the question is, are you for the union? Are you for the Confederacy? And that divided up families and people went to war on different sides. That divided up families. Today, we have a different civil war going on. It's not yes, not yet all the violence we had of the civil war of the 1800s, but there is that same polarization. And people are ghosting one another or the cancel culture. If you don't agree with me, I will never talk to you again. How can you possibly vote for that other side? How can you do that? I can't talk with you anymore. You're no longer my friend. That was not the case 10, 20 years ago. Absolutely not, let alone at other times. So we have to understand how we got to this point of polarization. And basically, it, it has to do with insecurity. There's also people who have grown up in what I called authority-challenged homes, where they either were overly controlled or they were abandoned. Therefore, they're not too fond of authority because it never worked out for them. At some point, if they get radicalized, then they say, let me blow up the authority system, which is the government, which is exactly what happened on January 6th. So people take what they learned in childhood, disdain for authority, and then they take it out on the government and other people who support the other side. And that's a dangerous situation, obviously. So we have to find ways to develop the awareness, develop the consciousness, remove the trauma, substitute it with gifts, with love, compassion, kindness, 
and then we'll have a different discussion. So there we are in Thanksgiving, and there can be different points of view. I don't take it as threatening. I accept it. And I said, well, if we want to solve this problem, we have to get our opinions out and work together, just like I would with that board that wants to do the curriculum for the school. you got to get diverse people together to understand the whole thing. There's one thing that happened in the last 50 years, and that's the difference between a simple problem and a complex problem. Before future shock, with all the diversity and the globalization and the deregulation, that essentially we had simple problems. One person could have all the information to solve it. In today's world, we have what is called complex messes. One person's expertise is never enough to address the problem. It has too many angles, a political angle, an economic angle, a mental health angle, uh, on and on. If we don't get experts together, we're approaching that 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 problem from a very, very limited point of view. It kind of reminds me of that old Sufi tale of the uh, six blind men and the elephant, where each blind man is standing in front of a different part of the elephant. And you ask each person, what is that? And the person by the tail says, I think it's a snake. The person by the tusk says something else. The person by one of the big feet or the legs says this must be a big tree. It looks like a tree trunk. And yet, until they combine their different perspectives, because they're blind to what the others see, mm. they cannot say, this is an elephant. Our problems yeah, today our are spots. like the complex messes. We need diversity and other people's approach to solve it. We are too limited. And once you realize that you're absolutely limited, you have to search out. You have to look for actively other areas of expertise that bear on the conflict and the problem. And that's the way out of it. All right, doctor, uh, to follow up, what if, just imagine, for uh, put yourself in the head of a pessimist for a second, that the government is incompetent and we don't get the experts and people don't elevate their consciousness. Where does the conflict end? When does it end and how does it end? Well, I, again, I think it's a long-term solution is to begin changing the curriculum in schools to focus on consciousness and helping people and the children become kind, compassionate, and loving to one another. We have to establish that. I don't think we can rely on pleas or advertisements. Oh, have you seen a therapist lately? Have you done some body work? Have you figured out who you are and why you were born? On an individual level, I don't think it's going to happen. We have a public school system under the belief that our citizens should have a common denominator of knowledge to be an effective citizen in this country and a citizen of the world. We need to provide that in public education. You can't rely on individual discretion. It's like leaving it up to the individual. Should I learn English? Should I learn math? Should I learn science? No, we say certain things are required if you're gonna become part of the society. Well, I think what has happened is now it's become vital vital to use public schools to help raise the consciousness of children. They've all been traumatized in one way or another. Can we help them understand that, heal from it, and turn it into a gift so they're even more kind and compassionate because of the trauma they experience? I don't wish trauma on anyone, but once it happens, what are you going to do with it? You're going to be bitter, you're going to be stuck, or you're going to grow from it. I want to create environments where people can grow from the human experience. Let's talk about the TKI conflict model. Tell me about that. What is it? Well, there's uh, two basic dimensions that define five conflict modes uh, on the uh, y-axis, so to speak, going up and down is what we call assertiveness, the extent to which you try to satisfy your own needs and concerns in a conflict situation. And for the time being, you're not at all concerned about the other person. 
cooperativeness is on the uh, x-axis, which goes from left to right. And basically, that's the extent to which I try to satisfy, help you satisfy your needs and concerns in the conflict situation. And I'm less concerned about my own. And the combination of my asserting my own needs versus taking care of your needs results in five conflict modes. So one is competing, which is high on assertiveness. I'm just interested in my needs and concerns being met and not at all interested in your needs and concerns. The opposite of competing is what we call accommodating. Accommodating is uh, for the moment, not concerned about my needs. I wanna help you get your needs and concerns met. In the middle is compromising which is we're saying, let's get a little of your needs met and a little of my needs met. It's like splitting the difference, flipping a coin, taking a middle ground, okay? And then avoiding is I withdraw from the situation. I don't take care of my needs. I don't take care of your needs. Now, if the conflict is very important to both of us, that's not a good strategy because both of us walk away very dissatisfied. For an in, unimportant uh, problem or conflict, then you can say, well, it's okay to avoid because it's not that important. Let's focus on things that are important. So avoiding each of the conflict modes has a good and bad use, effective and ineffective. And the fifth conflict mode, which is like the ultimate, if you can get there, is collaborating, which is both high on assertiveness and high on cooperativeness. I'm equally concerned with getting my needs met and your needs met. How do we do this? Well, compromising is like either or, either you win or I win. It's a give and take. With collaborating, we expand the space of conflict so that all our needs get met. That takes creativity. That takes trust. That takes time. That needs low stress so we can concentrate on what we're talking about. Good communication skills. Okay, good listening skills. And the belief that we have to work on this together. Now, how do you set those conditions up? Well, a lot of my work has been with organizations to create the conditions so people can use collaborating on their most important problems. If you go into many organizations today and say, how is they take out, they take my instrument, the Thomas Kilman instrument, in terms of how is conflict being managed in this organization? And then you look at the results from the top of the organization to the frontline workers. And as you move down the hierarchy, avoiding and accommodating get higher and higher. So the people mm. on the top might be using compromising and collaborating in many situations, but you go down avoiding and accommodating because the system tells people, don't stick your neck out, don't make waves, don't disagree with your boss, you're going to hear about it later. And there's strong norms, cultural norms, and sometimes the reward system uh, does this in the appraisal process. If you've caused trouble by confronting people with things they don't want to talk about, you're going to hear about it in your performance review. So many organizations have inadvertently created conditions that are high in avoiding and accommodating. Now, when you show this to the senior management group, they're saying, oh my goodness, we're paying all this money in salaries, and then they're not even using their expertise. They're not telling us what they really feel. How can we solve problems or people withholding or avoiding every time there's a conflict? So the organization, as well as any institution, has to create a culture and a reward system that supports people telling the truth, being honest, always in a nice way, being caring, but letting people know your expertise and including that in any discussion and in inviting other people to include their expertise in the discussion and respecting what they say and incorporating it in order to develop a collaborative solution on a very complex problem. So we have to prepare the system 
so people can manage the conflict effectively. Otherwise, you go to some families and you find out that one is like the husband or the wife may be high on competing. The other one is high on accommodating. It works. One right. person always gets their needs met. The other one doesn't. But what we've learned is if people don't get their most important needs, they'll either leave the situation or they'll just do the minimum to get by until something better comes along. But you won't get their engagement. You won't get their expertise. You have to involve people in order to get their wisdom and knowledge. And we see this in families. We see this in organizations. We see this in politics. You know, what happens when someone goes against the norm in the Democratic Party or the Republican Party? They get blasted by their colleagues. You know, I yes. thought you were Republican. How could you not support this? You, you're a traitor. And then they get ejected out of committee meetings and on and on. It becomes ugly very soon. So we have to develop this environment where we look for, recognize, appreciate diversity, search it out, know how to make use of it, listen, incorporate it. Where are people going to learn that? Well, why can't we learn that in public schools? Why can't we learn a lot of things in public schools? Personal yeah. finance, basic everyday tasks like doing your taxes. Uh, reforming public schools, I think, is long overdue. I hope you can be a part of making that happen. And I think uh, personal psychology, whether you call it consciousness, understanding yourself, uh, becoming a better version of yourself, I think needs to be part of public education yeah. as well. And there's some examples of that. There's the Waldorf School, Montessori, and there's charter mm -hmm. schools where they're not just sitting in a structured environment with the teacher up front with rows and rows and rows of students. They're in circles. They're in groups. They're in communities. They're choosing what they learn. They're helping one another learn. There's other models out there that have not been incorporated into public education. They tend to be still in special private schools, but it's being done. Right. There are examples I'm out sure there that we can use. To bring in you know, psychiatrists, psychologists, and people who are qualified to help people do that work on an individual basis. I can imagine that being very expensive for schools to implement. Well, a lot of it can be done in groups. Uh, when I went to UCLA in my doctoral program, that's the first time I was exposed to something radical like this. We uh, entering doctoral students, there were 11 of us. We had a 24 credit course that met nine hours a week for nine months. And it was a group. And three hours of every week for nine months, it was what is called a sensitivity training group. We shared our feelings. We shared our experiences. We shared and gave feedback to one another on how we came across and are we helpful or not. So we had that in the doctoral program at UCLA. And whenever, when I told them I was, for example, going to work on interpersonal values for my dissertation, I was asked, how is your focus on interpersonal values a reflection of the traumas you had as a child? No one ever asked me that question before. But at that no, time, UCLA was big into self-awareness at the doctoral level. And we, that was a required course. We had to take it. So there, the, the school, the, the business school, the management school made a decision that to be an effective doctoral student and ultimately a professor doing research, you had to know yourself and we have to provide experiences so you can do that. So I, I saw that at UCLA, that so it can be done there, it can be done anywhere. Yeah, and I, I've been through several courses that are like that, but I've had to seek them out in adulthood through masterminds, through personal development seminars. But a lot of people never realize the value in doing that. So spend a few minutes with me right now encouraging listeners to go seek out that knowledge, seek out that training, because it doesn't really have tangible 
tangible value at the end. It's not like if you go work on yourself and 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 do this work, you're going to make X amount of money. You're not going to learn X X skill. Uh, but what is the value in, in in doing that work? Well, what I say is ultimately is that unless you know yourself, love yourself, and healed your traumas, how can you possibly make a good decision about work or your love life? How can you possibly make a decision if you're operating in the blind, conditioned from the past, and not knowing more than was done for your parents and what was done to their parents and was done to their parents, and you're reliving things that have been in place for hundreds of years, but they're no longer functional for today's world. We're in a different world than it was hundreds of years ago. We've got complex messes like never before. We've got climate change issues, polarization, armaments, nuclear threats like never before. It's a different world. So therefore, we have to learn about ourselves differently so we're prepared to meet those challenges that are so complex, we need diverse others. So we, I, I urge people, until school systems have incorporated material that helps children learn about themselves so they can be very effective citizens in society, of course, I encourage people to have to do it themselves for the time being. Whether it's a therapy, various kinds of body work, it's out there. I mean, uh, I'm living in California. It's a candy store here for workshops on consciousness and body work and astrology and all yeah, aspects of understanding who you are and what the forces are. I love it out here. But uh, and it's also on the East Coast. But I don't know if there's other parts of the country that they just, you know, they just don't get into this yet. You know, usually you see this in the urban areas, you know, but essentially right. there's opportunities to learn about yourself. If you look for them, you'll find them. But ultimately, I look for a systemic solution where we ask, what is the purpose of public school education? And for today's world and for what's unfolding, what do students need? And don't tell me they need what they got 200 years ago. They need something different now. The world has changed. I'm with you, Ralph. Uh, so you've written 20 books and you just published your 20th or 21st? Uh, I think it's about 22, 23. I, I lost track. I know that sounds so, arrogant, so, but I lost track. It's a lot of books. Is, <laughs> is this your last one, do you think? Are you done? Well, I'll tell you, uh, in, in 2021, I actually produced what I called and put on the cover uh, my legacy book. Uh, that was Creating a Quantum Organization, which integrates how I prepare organization society to adopt all these kinds of changes. And at that time, I said, I'm done. And I, I felt complete. I felt contentment. And I must say, for the first time in my life, I said, you know, I did what I came here to do. I'm done. I don't have to do anything else. I never had that before. And then about uh, a year and a half later, uh, someone wrote me an email and said, oh, you're writing all these blogs on the TKI. Did you ever think of putting it together into a TKI book? I never wrote a book about the conflict instrument. And I said, that's interesting. Let me see what it's like. Now, I've still felt completion and contentment, but I said, let me give it a try. And that book took me literally three months and one week to write. It just flowed because I already was done. So there was nothing about it has to be right. so good. It has to be this. It just came out of me three months and one week. And so this is my TKI book as where I, in a sense, began my career with the TKI in the early 70s. I've come full circle and now I have a TKI book. Beautiful. Who's a good target demographic? Who should think about purchasing this book? Is it more for corporations? Is it for the general public? Who's a, who's a good fit for that? 
Well, basically, it's anyone whose life involves conflict, whether it's interpersonal, organizational, or societal. So that's a, so a no big, big market. <laughs> and the TKI has been already the worldwide leader in any kind of assessment for helping people understand how they approach conflict. So it has sold millions and millions and millions of copies. So there's a captive audience out there. So if people want to find out the latest of what I've learned in 50 years of working with the TKI, accumulating in that last chapter about civil war and international war, which is perhaps facing the most devastating conflicts on this planet, uh, it, it includes all that. But there's actually a chapter in there, I should mention this, Jay, uh, chapter 11, I believe, that is on managing your internal conflicts. Very important, because the internal conflicts mm. then drive how you approach your external conflicts. And this helps you do some of that inner work I mentioned. So one of the, the conflicts, the inner conflicts is, are you governed by your ego or your soul? I put it in or to set up the debate, and then ultimately we have to put both on the same page. But your ego is things about fame, security, uh, attention, immortality, control, money, those kinds of things. The soul is a very different kind of uh, perspective. It says, why was I born? It's like the Mark Twain quote. What am I here to do? What's my mission? Why was I given this gift of life and what can I do with it? Very different than the ego. And it's not, it can start out with being ego or soul, like I have to pick one or the other, but that just sets up the debate on how can I put my ego and soul on the same page, on the same mission. So the ego gives me my energy and my soul gives me my direction. Another internal Beautiful. conflict is, is are the external systems, strategy, structure, rewards in my organization outside of me or fused with me? A lot of people look at those systems as being outside who they are. It's someone else's responsibility. I'm not responsible for strategy, structure, reward system. But another approach says, I'm a part of everything. I'm connected with everything. And if there's something not right with strategy, structure, rewards and the other systems in organization, I'm responsible for doing something about it. I'm not, can you imagine everyone in the organization waiting for someone else to fix the systems? It's not going to work. We all have to say we are responsible for this. That's the ultimate adulthood. We are responsible. Let's get together with a diverse group and do something about it. So how those it. And, and the last inner conflict, by the way, is Please. have you resolved your primal relationships or are you still wounded from the past, which prevents mm. you from focusing on the present, let alone the future? So we ask people, have you resolved your primal relationships or are you stuck? And how you come out on those inner conflicts says everything about the outer conflicts, including war. So you heard Ralph, if you want to elevate your consciousness and do better for the world at conflict and avoiding war and treating your neighbor better than you currently are and not conflicting with your family and your friends, you need to pick up one of these books. And Ralph, where can people find you to get more information, to see any other content you're putting out? I'm sure there's going to be more books to come. Where's the best <laughs> we'll place see. to do we'll that? We'll see. But <laughs> the best way to reach and see all my work is on my website, uh, which is www.kilmandiagnostics, one L, two N's, diagnosticsplural.com. 
and I have uh, most of my 100 articles are available there for download. I have many blogs. In fact, my most recent blog was on this issue of civil war and international war. So you can see I actually have photos of a homogeneous group and a heterogeneous group to really make the point. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> and uh, there's so much on that website. And I have all my online courses, assessment tools. Um, there's a lot there. And so that's the best way to, to find out more about what I'm doing. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'll link that in the show notes so you don't have to try and figure out how to spell Kilman Diagnostics. <laughs> uh, so go ahead and click, click it down there below. But Ralph, this has been an awesome uh, episode. I hope that all of your solutions for our, our conflict in the world come true within my lifetime. That would be an amazing thing to see. But you are doing, obviously, it, God's work right now or wh whatever higher powers work to, to end conflict in the world, spreading your, your good word. Uh, I, I love your solution and I, and I hope it comes, comes to fruition. Thank you for joining me today, Ralph. Thank you so much, Jay. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you for having me. Please.